0: Hello and welcome back to the iHeart Heart Anxiety podcast. Um, This is episode two of the podcast. It's on the theories and causes of anxiety. So briefly, I Heart Anxiety, the podcast, essentially what I want to really focus on with the podcast is not just anxiety, but learning how to love the seemingly unlovable or learning how to love the seemingly uncomfortable things or aspects of your life and That uncomfortable or unlovable thing could be anxiety, it could be depression, it could be stress, it could be a physical ailment, it could be anything that's just bothering you incessantly that somehow you feel powerless towards. So I really want to dive into these uncomfortable things and find ways to reframe it and somehow be grateful for it. Because if we can't necessarily always eradicate these things from our lives, the moment we want them to be eradicated... We can always make the choice to find a way to actually enjoy or love whatever is present that is so distressing us. So really want to kind of reframe mental health from the perspective of I'm here and I understand and I have compassion for how much it sucks. But there's a way out of this and also there's a way to look at this differently so as to not let it have so much power over us because I think we give it a little bit more power than is due. So, I Heart Anxiety is a BrainLids podcast, a podcast by the BrainLids organization. So, the BrainLids organization essentially is an international organization that's dedicated to creating educational experiences, to wake up the world, and to elevate consciousness. So, (laughs) I, for some reason, in the last episode, I caught myself when I said, Brainless is an international organization. The first thing my anxious brain thought of for some reason was that (laughs) I was like, it's international because I've been to Mexico. That has nothing to do with anything and I'm fully aware of that. The reason that it's international, one of two reasons is because A, I hope that one day, of course, it will be an international organization creating different educational experiences all over the world to help elevate consciousness, but most importantly... Greenless was born in Barcelona. It's when the idea came to me. It's when the organization was created. It's where I first did all the podcasts and all that good stuff. So it technically for sure is a Spanish organization, which, you know, somewhat. Anyways, so before we dive into into today's episode, which is on the theories and different causes or speculating, speculative causes of anxiety, I want to do a couple updates. First being a community update and second being my own personal update. So in terms of a community update, I really want to face this issue and nip it in the butt before it comes up again or before I continue to feel uncomfortable about it because this podcast is about facing the uncomfortable, not avoiding it, not being inauthentic and finding ways to love what makes you uncomfortable. So a quick community update. So an old friend reached out to me last night after having listened to the first I Heart Anxiety podcast, which I much appreciate. And um, mentioned his sentiments about how sometimes when I cuss or I swear in my podcast, in the way that I speak, it can come off as not composed and not wise and unprofessional. Especially if I'm attempting to build, you know, an organization that's international, that's well respected. And I extremely very much appreciate somebody caring enough to tell me that kind of thing, you know, to be concerned about my image, be concerned about the image of brainlets to ensure that it's not somehow tarnished by a mere lack of correct word choice but that being said at this moment in my life and this could change but this is the truth as i know it today i want brain Lids to be very much of a slightly rebellious and eclectic and unique organization i very much want it to be one that educates and that has useful things to say, useful things to apply, and useful things to exemplify, so as to help wake everyone up and elevate our consciousness. But in order for us to do that, in order for the organization to bring us to do that, I'm not going to attempt to live some professional expectation, some corporate expectation of how I should or shouldn't speak. I believe that in order to Change society, you really kind of have to shake it up a little bit. And to shake it up a little bit, you're going to have to go contrary to some norms, some norms of behavior and some norms of vernacular, perhaps, in order to get attention and break some stigmas related to word choice and the person who's speaking the words. Because, you know, there's this perpetuating idea in society that if somebody tends to cuss or swear, somehow they're scum, somehow they're uneducated, somehow they're angry, somehow they're in pain. Somehow they're unprofessional. And while this can definitely be true, as with anything, it is not always the case. And now I could be totally disillusioned and I could have cussing in my vocabulary because I have subconscious pain or anger that it really helps me to, you know, dissolve or put out, put out that energy. But even if that's the truth, for me, it's the truth as I know it today. So if if a cuss word or a swear word is going to naturally come out of my language to emphasize a point or to help me feel some anger or some pain that's arising from within me, I'm going to let that happen right now. And I'm not going to necessarily worry or focus too much on the professional, you know, perception of, organization because I don't think that it's going to tarnish what the organization actually stands for and the utility and the power that this organization is actually going to have in in educating and exemplifying and engaging our world to really wake up and to ascend and to learn how to integrate aspects of themselves that they don't like, integrate aspects of society that you don't like, to have compassion for yourself and for others and to learn how to not judge anything you know, to appreciate and understand and obviously have your viewpoints, but to not judge based on the words coming out of someone's mouth. And I understand the power of language. And maybe five years from now, I'll laugh at myself that I cussed. But for now, it's going to be part of the image that I am portraying, one that is saying, yes, I'm attempting to share some information that I've learned. I'm attempting to explore and make sense of some information that I learned related to the brain and to philosophy and to -to day-to-day life experience while also sprinkling in some natural organic language that breaks down these barriers between a professional and a lay person or educated and non-educated because I think sometimes that's bullshit. Anyways, that's the community update, but I do appreciate having friends that care enough to say something because it is a really good point. It's a good point that normally in high academia or in corporate, these type of, that type of language using swear and cuss words is definitely seen as unprofessional. So it's definitely something that I'm going to continue to consider, and I do appreciate that being brought up. It's not the first time it's been brought up, but I'm definitely not going to currently at the moment stop cussing. And if it does bother you, I do understand that. but. I'm not going to currently change that. Anyways, that's the community update. Now, Lydia's update for today, my own personal update for today. I want to share something funny. So I was on my, I like walking in the morning because it really helps me um, to, you know, start the day in a very healthy mindset, be around nature, have the sun hitting me, sweat a little bit, listen to really fun, like Bossa Nova music. It's super fun for me, but it was and I really try and be mindful on these walks. I try and pay attention to the plants and the feelings of the sun and, you know, the music, dance a little bit. But today, my attention was really being pulled by a few different things. And I could feel the anxiety creeping in. And the anxiety would say something like, you got to do the second podcast. You got to hurry up. You got to hurry up and do the second podcast. You know, like, you got to tell everybody why Brainless is international. Not because of Mexico, but Barcelona, like. You, you you have to organize the pot and i was just like what the hell i don't have to do any of these things first of all nobody is sitting on the edge of their seat awaiting a second episode not not that pitifully i'm just saying that as like the natural reality of what it is and secondly there's no rush for anything ever in life you don't have to rush Unless someone's going to die if you don't attempt to hurry a little bit, there's absolutely no reason for you to cause yourself distress, Or better said, for you to let anxious feelings cause you to stress, cause you to feel like you have to go faster and faster and hurry up. You know, I'm so sick of that. That never-ending feeling of rush. There's no damn rush. There's not a rush. So I... I read this really hilarious book actually that I bought at Target the other day called The Little Book of Sloth Philosophy. Sloth, as in the animal that has many limbs and three fingers and is super cute and slow. And it was quite actually incredible. The whole emphasis was on leading a slow life, and the method of the sloth was slow. S standing for sleep in, L standing for leave your phone at home. O standing for opt out of things that you don't want to do and W standing for what's the rush. So this entire philosophy which it's super cheap and super cute if you want to go pick it up at Target, the little book of sloth philosophy, it emphasizes sleeping more and like sleeping in and not such a grinding and grit and grudge that our society is obsessed with obsessed with that I'll talk a little bit later. This is actually a super amazing idea, and it emphasizes how a lot of the creative geniuses of the world and successful people actually spent immense amount of times being sloths, doing nothing, spending 30 years meditating, or you know, that's obviously something, but, you know, a lot of time being lazy so as to allow their thinking mind to chill out and their creative mind to just have random spurts of creation. So I'm really trying to emphasize the sloth philosophy lately. It's been quite fun. All right. So that's my current update. Now, into the episode. So I'm just gonna talk quickly because I never want these episodes to be super long. I want them to kind of fall somewhere between 15 to 20 minutes, you know, give or take five minutes. Ten, I'm going to talk quickly about 10 different theories or speculative causes of why anxiety arises. And I think it's super useful because, like I said in the first episode, when you can understand something that seems to be ambiguous or seems to be scary, there's a lot more power that you have because you kind of demystify whatever it is that seems to be bothering you, just like looking under the bed when you're a little kid, seeing that there aren't any monsters. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, very briefly about the 10 theories. So, The first theory, it's very, it's not much of a theory. It's actually, quite frankly, the reality is that we we share brains with mammals. So a certain part of our, you know, I would say we have our reptilian brain, which is the lower brain stem and and all the like. Then we have our mammalian brain, which we share with monkeys and mammals. And then we have our, you know, neocortex, or the newest part of the brain that is really, um, reserved for human beings. So the mammalian brain, it, it's responsible for emotional states, it's responsible for fear responses and all this stuff. And so in the mammalian brain is the amygdala, which could be synonymously compared to the alarm bell in the brain or the alarm system in the brain. And when that alarm system is somehow triggered and that alarm system gets triggered by anything that could potentially threaten our survival we start feeling feelings of fear and then we start feeling anxiety. And let me distinguish the two because I think it is important. So fear is an emotional response to a real or perceived imminent threat. So when I see a snake or, you know, I'm being excluded from the social circle, that's potentially a real threat. You feel fear. And now anxiety is just this anticipation of a future threat that doesn't seem to be obvious, real in front of you. It doesn't, you know, sometimes you're anxious, like I said earlier, for no apparent reason. That's just a feeling of anxiety, which could come from a long-term perpetual activation of this alarm bell in the brain. So the inner mammal, the inner mammalian brain just gets triggered by anything that threatens or survival, like I said. And you might not think that, let's say, getting excluded from, excluded from some sort of social circle is a threat to our survival. But if you think about in terms of the olden days, the hunter-gatherer times, getting excluded from a tribe or from a social circle could have meant death. So it is a perceived threat, even if we're not consciously aware that that's why we feel so anxious when we get excluded socially or when we, you know, get dumped or when our parent rejects us. All these things that could be linked to survival subconsciously. But when these type of things happen, we get triggered um, in some way, shape or form. It could be a variety of things. Cortisol, the stress hormone, floods our body and therefore that causes us to feel anxiety. And all of our attention then is completely honed in to finding and searching in the environment for all the potential reasons of why we feel anxious, of what the problem is and how we can solve it. Now, in a state of fear, when there's an obvious perceived threat, like a snake or, you know, a rejection, you can quickly solve the problem for the most part. And when you get rid of that problem or solve it, when all your attention solves the problem, you don't feel fear anymore. But the problem with anxiety is that when you feel this anticipation of future threat that you can't pinpoint, you're forever focused on all the things that could potentially be a problem, that could potentially be going wrong in your current life, be it money or relationships or a podcast or something. You just start obsessing over anything and everything that could be making you feel crummy because your your alarm bell is active. So that's a theory, you know, a theory or a truth of how we tend to feel these fear feelings of fear and anxiety. Now the second one briefly is just. The theory is because of childhood experiences or childhood trauma. So if you've experienced a household in which there was a lot of fighting or a lot of arguing, that's a very intense energy, a tense negative energy to be sitting in. And even if you weren't necessarily a part of the fight or the argument, you still felt that intense energy and it still registered in your brain as conflict, therefore triggered this alarm system in the brain that makes you kind of tense or on edge. So if you're not even sure if you have anxiety or aren't, anxi- you know, tend to be an anxious person. Simply, f- simply put, if you tend to be on edge, or, or worried, perpetually worried, or always, there's this other shoe drop sensation. That's a that's a very good indication that you probably tend to live with some anxiety, which doesn't isn't a sentence or a disorder. It's just it is what it is, and now. Another explanation, like I said, is this whole childhood experience thing. If you experienced either a severe trauma, which wired itself in your brain and for sure causes you perpetual anxiety or, you know, within your childhood home or within your educational institution, you were around a lot of conflict that definitely keeps you on edge and that wires itself into your brain and causes you to feel that habitually. Now, the third theory is just via self-talk and certain beliefs. For example, if I have a belief that I am, you know, my worth or my value comes from what I do in life or what I become in life, because I have held this belief and I still to to an extent do and I'm attempting to break it, then I'm going to be obsessed with thinking about the future and how I can become somebody that's worthy or valuable and all the things that I can do to make myself worthy and valuable. So this obsession with the future In combination, let's say with a predisposition to be anxious, can cause you immense anxiety if you're always living in the future and have this belief that the future you or the future you's life is going to be better. So that can cause that opens a window for a lot of anticipation of potential future threats or problems. Granted, that does have to be in combination with some already predisposed anxiety, but even negative self talk or continuous worry. Making work because worry is a habit. It's just you've talked to yourself enough times in a worried fashion that it's become a habit for you. This is another way that you can have perpetual anxiety. So you can already begin to see how you know self-created some of these things are, but therefore self-destructible these things are. So another fourth theory is um, in the first episode I talked about the spiritual teacher called Eckhart Tolle. And how he talks about anxiety and depression and these distressing forces as a spiritual practice or a meditative practice. Um, And the reason that he says that is because when there's this uncomfortable energy with you, whatever it is, this uncomfortable negative energy with you, that's an opportunity to really get familiar with the energy, the anxiety, to not push it away, but to feel the energy and anxiety in your body. To turn on the light of your awareness, so as to really pay a lot of hyper attention to your thoughts and sit in that moment. So, therefore, you're training your thoughts, you're training your emotional vigilance, you're training your emo- you're training your awareness. So he sees actually anxiety and depression as a gift in the sense that it's a practice for becoming more aware. And he thinks that when you have this sort of practice that's in your life it's normally attributed to, you know, the energy normally comes from what he calls the pain body. Or the so the pain body is this residue energy of all the past emotional wounding, past experiences that somehow caused you pain and live sort of lodged in your body energetically. And as you get triggered throughout life, it turns on, you know, let's act as if it's a real creature, it turns on this pain body. And how this pain body is fed is with more pain. Not necessarily the emotional feeling of pain. Like if I get triggered and I'm, and all of a sudden my pain body comes up and my pain body is, is more of a depressive pain body. It's not that the feeling of depression is, feel, is feeding the pain body. But if my thoughts continue to be painful and convince me how much of a failure I am, how my future's hopeless, how I'm doomed, those thoughts, that painful thought, Creation is what feeds the pain body. So he kind of sees sometimes the creation of depression, anxiety, and these uncomfortable forces, or at least the perpetuation of them as self-created things that once looked at differently and once handled differently can actually be our pathway into high, high levels of awareness and consciousness, which is probably my favorite way to look at it. So fifth, another theory is if you believe in past lives, for example, If you've had a really traumatic past life experience in which the whole life um, was some severe trauma, for example, you could potentially carry genetically some of the emotion and psychological tendencies to be a super anxious person and carry it with you into the next life so as to potentially learn how to deal with it, how to love it, how to change it, how to transmutate it into higher awareness. But that is definitely a speculation for people who do believe in reincarnation. I personally do believe in reincarnation. I do believe in past lives. So that is something that some some people, some proponents of this reincarnation theory speculate that, let's say, I committed suicide in a past life. That caused me a lot of clearly distressing emotional anxiety or feelings of oppression or powerlessness. That sort of energy gets encoded into the DNA and that DNA is now transferred over to this current lifetime when I reincarnate into this lifetime and I feel that same feeling of anxiety and distress, Um, not even necessarily aware of why, but it could be attributed to a past life. And again, the reasons that I think that you always, you would bring that sort of emotional distress into this current life is to learn how to Deal with it, to learn how to be free from it, to learn how to love it, to learn how to integrate it into your psyche. So, a sixth theory is um, anxiety, even feelings of depression or stress in general, are feelings that are fostered by our current society. So, there's definitely an emphasis and a respectable quality that we have on. People who push forward, people who strive forward, people who grind and have grit and know what they're doing in their life and burr, 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 burr. and that's super distressing for sure and I for sh- I can definitely attest to the fact that I have a really hard time when I am asked what are your future plans? I don't like that as us us humans have made commonplace this whole question of what are your future plans as a society, we're continuously pushing people to have this plan know what they're going to do in the future and therefore think about the future a lot which causes one a lot of distress because we can't always plan the future and we sure as shit cannot know what's going to feel good in the future know what we're going to want to do in the future know what we're going to want to be in the future so it's not you know in our current society in our western society where i'm sitting now it's not totally regarded as respectable to just say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of going to live in the moment and see how I feel and follow what feels good. If somebody actually said that to you, you'd be like, what the fuck? Maybe you wouldn't, but that's the kind of thing that makes me more prone to anxiety and more prone to worrying about the future. And therefore, how an explanation or a theory of how the environment could be one to foster this sort of anxious feeling. So a seventh theory is, I kind of already talked about this, but you know, with the inner inner mammal, the alarm system in your brain, you could simply have a genetic predisposition that doesn't have anything to do with a past life, um, but rather with your parents. So if they were prone to have a high level of anxiety or a high level of depression, you could also genetically be predisposed to have that set point. But I always like to look at it that a lot of these things happen for various specific reasons, because as this whole podcast is attesting to, anxiety and depression and distressing ailments, physical ailments are all ways to elevate your consciousness, to wake up, to practice being aware of your thoughts and your emotions so hyper vigilantly to the point of conquer, so the to the point of freedom. Um, And if you never had that experience with anxiety or if you never had that experience with fear, with stress, you wouldn't learn how to rise above it. You wouldn't learn how to wake up enough to conquer it and be free from it. Um, So an eighth theory is uh, Soren Kierkegaard. He's an 18th century or 17th century Danish philosopher. He actually thinks that anxiety is essential for life. He thinks that it's a key to life and that it's a key to human existence. In the sense that if you have anxiety, you're really focused on possibility. And therefore, you're better educated to make better decisions because you can really emphasize how you have all of these different choices, all these different choices that are going to determine where you go or who you become. And to have that sort of freedom to choose and the anxiety that comes with it is just natural, but it's good because it allows you to really consider multiple paths and take one best for you. But of course, um, he mentions that with too little anxiety, you're not going to be motivated at all. But too high anxiety really impairs making any decision at all, which is where I tend to have found myself much of the time. I find a lot of anxiety over my freedom to choose, but more so when my, freedom to, my choices are immense, when I have a lot of choices. I've tried to make peace with that, but it's definitely been something that has afflicted me because I am someone that's more prone to have high levels of anxiety. So when I have the freedom to choose, sometimes it brings me a lot more dread than it does exciting possibility. But I'm trying to reframe that very much so and be grateful for all the choices and things like that. So ninth theory, I'm not going to a theory, but to kind of a description of the cause of it is from Sigmund Freud. So he says that anxiety is natural. But it's also use and it's also useful, but it's also the root of neurosis, kind of like what I just said in in healthy doses, it's useful, but in excess, it's becomes neurotic. Um, but the way he explained it was interesting. He says that anxiety is born out of a need to keep impulses based on stressful thoughts and memories from childhood out of consciousness, which I was confused about in the beginning. But now I think it makes a little bit more sense to me, especially considering some light that was just brought to my attention recently about some discordance within my beliefs so i realized that if you as a kid encoded a lot of memories with specific beliefs that are very discordant or not aligned with who you actually are today 20 years later You can experience a lot of anxiety from the conflict that arises within you, knowing one thing and having a certain programming of beliefs encoded in your subconscious mind from your childhood, your parents, your society, your religion, versus the person you want to be today. And sometimes you're not even aware of the beliefs that are causing you that sort of anxiety, that internal conflict, and you tend to just repress it and keep those impulses quiet because you don't want to dig in there and you don't even necessarily know that you should dig in there. But I think that's kind of where Freud's going with this. And that's come up with me a lot recently. Um, I found that I have a lot of discordant beliefs with my, you know, Catholic, Catholic Spanish upbringing versus, you know, the person that I am today and what I want to think and how I want to believe and how I want to live. And some of them I do find aligned to some extent, but others, you know, are just completely bogus. And isn't that interesting? I was just going to say bullshit, but I said bogus because now I'm fairly self conscious about this cussing thing. Now, maybe for due reason, but maybe not for due reason. But I do want to talk, I do want to mention that. And I'm also interested in people's views on it. If the cussing, you know, att- attempts to be this exciting, natural, organic thing that's allowing to break down certain judgments and stereotypes of cussing, or if it's bothersome within the podcast, you know, maybe. My friend was completely right and I should avoid all cussing or maybe I should just let myself speak as I want to speak. I'm not sure. Now I'm doubting myself and getting slightly anxious about it, but we're going to put that on bay for now so I can finish this episode. (laughs) Okay, so episode theory 10. And the last one, it's very simple. Um, Anxiety could be caused by foods that you eat food that you don't eat if you have a low blood sugar you can trigger anx- anxious feelings your body wants to seek for sugar and sustenance so you feel that feeling of worry that somehow you have low energy and you should focus on finding some solution uh, another reason could be medications I remember one time when i was on birth control i can't totally confirm this but i was like extraordinarily anxious and depressed and insane mood swings and i know other women can attest to this So that could also be definitely a cause for anxiety. But I like to play with the idea that even when foods or medications cause feelings of anxiety, somehow that pain body or those feelings, that energy of of negative emotion was somehow already lingering in your body and was just brought up or triggered by these specific things. I don't know. I'll play with that idea in the future more. Okay, but I know this episode is getting a little bit long, so... I hope you guys enjoyed all the different theories or speculative reasons or explanations for anxiety and i really enjoy doing this type of thing looking at different causes or explanations of what it could be you know what could have brought it up because it's useful to take into consideration multiple points of view you know to find the validity in multiple points of view to find how you can integrate multiple different points of view and therefore get be- the better, bigger, fuller picture of what is the truth in this situation. What is the objective truth in this situation? Other than just attaching to one very specific explanation and being dead set on it, I like to play with multiple different reasons. And we'll get into that more. You know, play with how does evolution fit in with the creation theory? How does this fit in with that? We'll just get into multiple things. Um, yeah, that are kind of maybe uncomfortable to find ways to fit together. But here on this I Heart Anxiety podcast, We love the uncomfortable. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please give me your feedback, especially on my query with the cussing. I definitely don't want it to be something as bothersome by any means, but I also don't want to attempt to perfectly craft my image so that I'm perceived a very specific way when I don't really give a shit. I want to be perceived who I am and how I am. So, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys.